0: Welcome to the Smart Thinking Podcast. This is my dad, Ted.
1: Welcome to the Smart Thinking Podcast. I'm your host, Ted Nightsky. Want to talk about COVID? Me neither. I am done. I'm finished. I don't want to talk about it anymore. I don't want to hear about it anymore. I just want it to be over. I want to move forward iterate off of the new things that we've discovered about ourselves and, and how to lead and how to approach and charge into the next storm. But apparently the next storm is COVID again. And instead of sitting around wallowing and trying to figure out a way to outrun it like a cow and, and face the sunshine of, you know, yesterday, let's look at the sunrise of tomorrow and figure out how we can address it. And in order to do that, I brought in an expert. Last year, when this whole thing started, we talked to Dr. David Brousseau, and we're going to talk to him again today. Because as we go into round two of a full school year facing coronavirus and the Delta variant and now the Lambda variant, I wanted to find out from a man who spends his time all day, every day treating people, especially kids, around all of the different things that they are facing amongst their health. Now, Dr. David Brousseau is a professor and chief of emergency medicine at Children's Hospital Milwaukee, and he's a professor at the Medical College of Wisconsin. He's a board-certified pediatric emergency medicine doctor, and he's the chief of the section of pediatric emergency medicine at Children's Hospital. He is somebody who I trust, someone who I've known for a while, and someone whose opinion is based upon facts. So join me in this conversation around the next direction we will head as we head into the school year with coronavirus. All right, welcome to the Smart Thinking Podcast. Today with me is my good friend, Dr. Dave Brousseau uh, from Children's Hospital and the Medical College of Wisconsin. And today, what we thought we would have a conversation around is really heading back into the school year. What should we be thinking about as the uh, coronavirus, the COVID, uh, continues to evolve and change right in front of our eyes? So Dave, welcome to the podcast.
0: Thank you, Ted. It's great to be back. Nice to see you again.
1: Yeah, last year and a half, uh, when your podcast went out, it was the fastest listened to podcast in the Smart Thinking Podcasts. History, so thank you for that education as we went into the early stages of COVID. But now, as we're heading into the secondary stages, what kind of what kind of things are you seeing um, at the hospital in the emergency room uh, with kids in pediatrics?
0: Yeah, so it's interesting. We are seeing an increase in COVID cases, um, but as as the kind of cities have opened up um, and we're not, we were less masked. We've actually seen a return. A lot of of a lot of the typical winter viruses. So we're seeing a lot of bronchiolitis, a lot of parainfluenza, just the typical viruses that we would see in a winter even before COVID have now made a return. And our emergency department volumes are what we typically see during a winter with febrile, you know, coughs, wheezing, all of those things. Some of that is COVID, but it's only the minority that's COVID. so. I guess one of the take-home points is, you might be seeing a lot of children who are coughing with runny nose right now, but that doesn't mean they all have COVID uh, because the other winter viruses or more typical winter viruses have made a comeback. So we are seeing um, certainly higher numbers. We do not test every patient uh, who has a fever or respiratory symptoms. The vast majority of children with COVID still do well, And so if the family, because it doesn't change what we tell them to do from a medical standpoint, we offer them um, COVID testing, but we don't certainly force people to get COVID tested. And some families aren't interested or have other priorities that they don't want to know. We don't have a rapid test. The test takes a while to come back. And some families are like, that's okay. We'll just go home, isolate, wait till we get better or whatever.
1: Do you think, you know, based on what you just said, do you think as we move forward through this, and we'll go back to coronavirus in a second People are just going to become smarter about when they have an illness in their family and stay home a little bit longer and protect it versus the you know five years ago ah, if you're not puking you can go to school
0: so I what I what sir, and you said we'd come back to coronavirus I will tell you I, I think that does bring up something relevant to coronavirus is how much it's brought out the disparities. I think families that have resources might be smarter in or might have different options in saying we're going to be a little careful when we're sick. But, you know, if you're at a place where your job doesn't have sick days and you don't have anyone to take care of your child, then I don't think you have many options. And so if you have limited opportunity to change your behavior, then I think you're going to continue to behave the way you were before, because that's the only way you can get through each day. So as much as we would like to say people are changing or can change, I'm not sure that's always possible.
1: Yeah, that's a really, really good point, especially as you, you know, demographically diverse school districts around the state or the country. Um, yeah, I mean, in a suburban area, it might be a little easier to do versus an urban area or a rural area with, you know, some cyclical poverty issues there. Sure. So, so as the kids are coming into the emergency room with those different components, are our, our anxieties heightened amongst staff? You know, every kind of time there's a kid with a sniffle and a fever, or I mean, have your behaviors changed significantly as a result?
0: Yeah, so um being in a healthcare setting, we've always had a very high index of suspicion, even when rates got low, our you know, maybe our level of concern got a little bit lower. But since the beginning of a pandemic, I think most people in a healthcare system have treated, especially in emergency department setting have treated anybody with any infectious symptoms like they could have COVID. Um, Certainly, um, you know, when the community prevalence is higher, you're a little more anxious, but at no point did we say, oh, this is a runny nose, we're not gonna wear a high protection mask anymore because even at its lowest, we still weren't comfortable. And we, we also have the responsibility that immunocompromised patients are coming to our emergency department frequently and the last thing we want to do is be a reason that they get sick. They're coming for care that might be completely not COVID related. And so we wanna provide that kind of safety shell no matter where we can providing, protecting our providers, our staff and all of our patients. So we have maintained a fairly high level of protection in the emergency department setting in our inpatient units the entire
1: time. That's a really good point, Dave, cause I don't think the general, you know, I. Don't, I You know, our focus has been so much on COVID that you forget that there are still people who are being diagnosed with leukemia and cancer and bone marrow, all kinds of issues. And they too need to access the healthcare system. So with that, you know, we see on the news, the surge hospitals uh, being overrun again, especially in the South part of the United States, help us understand variants. So the regular coronavirus is bad, but it's not as bad as the Delta. And Now, oh my goodness! Now there's the Lambda, and I think, like we you pointed out, I th- I think the one thing the world's going to get is how to uh, understand and spell things in the Greek alphabet as we go through it. But what what is the what is a variant, and why why is it a big deal, and and why why are we seeing this surge? Why should people maintain their caution?
0: Sure. so so think about, you know, a virus is a you know a tiny particle that needs a host, right? So you know we, we, we make it seem like viruses have brains and think, right? But in, instead, they're just mutating as part of their natural process. And if the mutation leads to better survival for the virus, that that mutation, that variant of the virus, will just become more and more and more prevalent. And if a virus mutated in a way that didn't aid its survival, that variant would just go away and nobody would ever hear about it and nobody would talk about it. So you talk about, you know, we have maybe 50% of the population vaccinated and depending on where in the country you are. So why aren't we seeing, you know, half the numbers or, you know, a third of the numbers? So what happened, simplistically thinking about the Delta variant, what a virus has to do is, like I said, it needs a cell, so it has to attach to that cell, and then it needs to get inside that cell and make copies of itself so it can then spread to somewhere else so it can get into other cells. So you take the kind of the initial variant of COVID, and what the Delta variant appears to have done is it has mutated its ability to attach to a cell so it can actually attach to cells much more quickly and much more efficiently than the original one did. So what that means is maybe if you have a vaccine and you have a little bit of immunity and you would have in order fought off the original variety of covid, this one is just fast enough that it can avoid some of that initial now some of that initial body response. Now remember The vast majority of vaccinated people still do unbelievably well, even if they have breakthrough cases, and we can come back to that. But you have got this variant now that attaches to cells in a much more efficient way. Certainly, that's going to help it spread from person to person. Now, it also appears to be that the variant has found a way to replicate itself even more efficiently once it gets into the cell. So you've got a virus now that compared to the original, gets into cells faster, replicates itself faster or more efficiently, and then gets out of cells and tries to find the next cell and thus the next person. So it's just that everything that used to happen at a certain pace is now happening two to three times more efficiently than it was before. So if the initial Um, you know, coronavirus variant that circulated, the average person was infecting 1.8 or two people. The Delta variant now, the average person can infect four or five people. So you're just seeing these massive spreads among people. We don't know that the Delta variant is any more severe, right? There are certainly some indications it might be, but other studies that show it's probably not any more severe. It's just infecting so many people so much faster that we're seeing a rapid spike. Again, the I wanna reiterate that the vaccine is still very, very, very effective at preventing the disease and really, really, really effective at preventing severe disease. And that's why 90 plus percent of the hospitalizations and deaths are happening in unvaccinated people. Because even the breakthrough cases um, that people who are vaccinated are getting, the vaccination is still preventing them from
1: getting more severe disease. So basically, uh, as, a, as someone, if you're vaccinated, your body is basically conditioned a little bit better to t- for the fight. Right? You might you might when the virus hits you, it's conditioned a little bit better because that's what. That's what the that's basically what the vaccination does for me is that it's in the cells, the cells have they've recognized the situation before and the delta variant just comes with a like kind of a speed boxer right who's in there a little bit quicker. So depending on your body's ability to respond to that. But if your body if you're not vaccinated or you've not been exposed to it, that speed at which that delta variant hits just overwhelms the system, and then you spread it faster as a result of it because you know, early on, Dave, they were talking about you know uh, micro density, you know, in in your in your spray, your breath, whatever. This is the same amount; it's just a just a different type of virus. Is that what you're saying?
0: Yeah. So, well, when the when the original vaccine uh, vaccinated people, what it appeared was that people who were vaccinated who got it were less likely to spread it because they weren't generating the same amount of virus, called the viral load. They weren't generating the same viral load. What what the Delta variant has apparently allowed people to do is it has allowed even vaccinated people to have that same viral load that unvaccinated people do. And so you actually might have the same amount of virus in what you are breathing out that somebody who is unvaccinated might have. So there are some interesting things, there's some interesting studies looking at, um, and I don't wanna to get too complicated here, but if you think of your immune system as kind of having, you know, there's your kind of nose, mouth immune system, and then there's your, the part that really protects your lungs. And so there is some thought that the reason um, the vaccinated people are really protected from the severe disease is that the severe disease tends to happen happen once it settles into your lungs. You don't have severe disease from a runny nose, but what you want to do is stop it from getting into your lungs. And there's some thought that the vaccine provides much better protection for your lung immunity than it does for your nose, throat immunity. And therefore, although you get it, you get the runny nose because that's a different kind of protection then, but it but your body's immune system is much better at protecting your lungs from having severe disease, difficulty breathing, needing to go on a ventilator, but you might catch the more mild symptoms, if that makes sense, without getting too technical on, a, on an immunological basis.
1: Yeah. It's, it's just proving to me why you're 1,000 times more qualified to talk about this than anybody else I know. Um, And when we talk about going back
0: to school, why you're a thousand times more educated talking about that than I am. So,
1: well, but so that's really interesting because, uh, you know, as you talked about, you know, just the different systems within our own body and how the, the, the virus hits that. So what is the suspicion around Lambda then? Right. So you hear about that and it's hitting Europe and it's coming here and what what is that what what are they saying about that is this just is this like a speed boxer who's a kickboxer who's an MMA fighter who it's going to be really hard to beat once yeah they get so to the cell? so unfortunately
0: or fortunately maybe we don't know a ton about lambda i mean we're still learning about delta and delta has already gotten huge numbers in our countries my understanding of lambda is that in some places it spiked rapidly and then actually started to decline and didn't have the same longevity that delta does I don't think there has been quite as much Lambda in our country yet. So I think it's still a little too early to even understand. I am sure there are you know, immunologists and microbiologists who understand what its mutations are. I'm just not as familiar with it because we haven't seen that. We don't have the same length of time and data that we do for the Delta variant.
1: Does it, So switching here for a second, then I wanna get to what we should do as parents. What, what does bacteria act the same way as, as a virus? You know, cause there are good bacteria and bad bacteria. Are there good viruses and bad viruses? I mean, I think our favorite bacteria is string cheese, but like, what, what, what are viruses predictable in the same way? I mean, I know, I remember as a kid going to the doctor and they're like, oh, you've got a virus. You can't, it can't be treated. It's just got to run its course. But what's the difference, Dave?
0: Yeah. So, so bacteria don't, bacteria can exist without a host right? So I said before that that virus needs to find a host so you can have bacteria that just live without the host. And there are good bacteria, right? There are good bacteria in our gut that aid us in, in our everyday lives um, or that we rely on in order to live. In general, we don't have that same perception of viruses. Like there aren't viruses that are necessary. There, I shouldn't say that. I have to be really careful here because I'm not a virologist. But it in general, um, we don't think of there being kind of the good class of viruses that are coexisting with us and helping us survive.
1: So now, with all of this type of thinking, and thank you for that, I probably slept through that part of school. Um, what 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 should a parent do? And and let's be specific. If if you and I still, if our boys were still or Gracie was like in kindergarten, first, second grade, as a parent, what should I what should I be doing to protect my kid? Yeah. So, so
0: first of all, I, even with the Delta variant, I think it is, it is clear that children still develop less severe symptoms in general than adults do. Right. And so everything we heard about protecting the high risk um, older patients, and then with each kind of decade, your, your, um, your risk level goes up still holds true. Now, Um, we there there is there has been some controversy about you know do children get it do children spread it and certainly there are cases documented where children do spread um, COVID but they are again still especially now as you're talking younger and younger children right my children are now 19 19 and 21 they are essentially adults and spreading it like adults but um, I, I think that the jury is still really out on, you know, how easily are five-year-olds spreading coronavirus between five-year-olds, right? In their typical, you know, daily life. And so you have a population then that tends to do very well if they get the virus. And it's unclear exactly how easy it is to spread to other children, right? So none of those things are known as much as we would like to know them. So um, things we certainly don't understand, it it appears, and I think there's some fairly convincing evidence that children don't seem to have the same amount of long COVID symptoms. So when they recover, they tend to do reasonably well. We, we haven't at least seen as many. Um, there is that Um, you know, inflammatory syndrome of children that they get post COVID. But again, that's relatively rare. But those are all things that we need to factor in. So I, I think the single best thing we can do for children is one, make sure that the people who are caring, educating, providing for those children are in the best health that they can be in. And so if you really want to protect children, you should make sure that Everybody who is around them is doing everything they can to protect themselves. And so that's vaccinating people who we know the vaccinations are going to decrease your risk of getting the infection and decrease your risk of spreading the infection. And even with Delta, it seems that the people who are vaccinated who do have enough of a viral load seem to shed the virus for a shorter period of time, which then would mean they're less likely to spread it. So let's get everybody who can get vaccinated, vaccinated, because that helps the person who's vaccinated and it helps everybody who can't get vaccinated. And I think there's two important components to that is part of this whole vaccine mandate, part of this whole vaccine effort is both to protect yourself and to protect everybody else. And so there is definitely a societal perspective that you need to take on this. It's not just about your child or whatever. We're obviously focused on individual children when we have children, but there is a societal component to all of that. So, and then then you get into um, once we've done that, what are the other things that we know are effective? And we know physical distancing, if possible, is effective. Being outside is better than being inside. All of those things are known to be effective in stopping the spread and therefore your child is much less likely to get infected.
1: And I guess the same thing would stand true for any grade level, middle school, high school, same thing, be smart, talk to your kids about hand washing, right. Keep your hand, your antibacterial goop in your pocket. Make sure you're, you're, you're constantly clean, uh, extra caution. If you're not feeling well, like you, you pointed out, if you can keep the kids there at school or at home. Um, and I guess basically the last couple of question here are, you know, in the medical profession, Dave, with kids, what have been some of the benefits of this pandemic, what, what has gone well for pediatric health, pediatric behaviors, are are there any bright lights here? What's the optimism from all of this? Um, so I love
0: that you're always finding the optimistic part of things, Ted. I love that about you. Um, so one thing I will say is what, um, what the COVID pandemic forced us to do was improve our ability to provide care to people remotely. Um, maybe not us in the emergency department per se when people are coming, but systems that would have taken five or 10 years in order to increase their number of virtual visits, be able to provide care to people in their home, all of those things have developed at an incredibly rapid rate as um, as we have reached out to people with chronic illness, so they don't come and put themselves at risk. And we have reached out to people with symptoms, so they don't come and put other people at risk. Right. So those systems developed unbelievably rapidly, and and I hope are ways to stay because you know even if we get over or when we get over this pandemic, I do think that there are um, there's a lot of benefit to families in being able to provide care in a way that's more timely, more family centered, um, and those things. So I I think that's been one plus. Um, You know, if that changes the healthcare system to focus more on those issues and any subsequent plus, I think we will get from that are additional things.
1: That's awesome. I mean, that's a direct reflection of schools. We're the same way. Like, I don't know that we'll have snow days as often as we've had in the past. And I don't think a a parent teacher conference will ever take place only in the school. I think you'll have the opportunity and ability to do those things virtually and online. And that, that's why I asked that question, because so many people have iterated at such a, a quick speed that, you know, I want uh, what did healthcare do? So to your point, like you said, those systems, it, it's pretty amazing when there's a burning platform of a pandemic, how quickly people are willing to evolve and, and, and change. Masking. OK, yes. so this comes up, right? This is a big, hot topic. Kids can survive. They can do well, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm not asking for like your opinion on this personally, but you know, what where where does like the healthcare field fall? Healthcare field fall around staying masked um, because we've now all gotten very accustomed and comfortable not wearing a mask again, and a lot of people are, are flat out just refusing to go back to that. So, what what are the benefits of it? And then what are you know you see these things on YouTube where. It, it's you're carrying bacteria loads around in your mouth for eight hours. That wouldn't have been there. I, where do you, where do you fall on that Dave? What, what, what should we be doing?
0: Yeah. So again, I, I wish there were a simple answer for everybody and it, it does vary a little bit again, by age, um, by your, your likelihood of spreading. Um, so I, I think in at least in older children and adults, certainly Um, I think there is clear evidence that masks seem to stop the spread of virus. Um, And so if you are in an indoor setting with close proximity for a reason that you can't avoid, then I, I think the medical community is fairly united on the fact that in order to protect yourself and others, that masking certainly has its benefits in those situations and so um we and, and all of this is of course based on the level of community spread right if there is very little coronavirus in your community the likelihood of spread drops dramatically and so even at our institution we had loosened up rules not in the not in the patient care setting but outside of the patient care setting where we were you know allowing some small gatherings of vaccinated people because that was low risk however now that we've had increasing numbers in the community which probably means well and we're seeing already you know as people get screened for surgery we're finding more asymptomatic patients who are positive and so that has to then be assumed to be happening community-wide so now kind of saying just because i'm just because i'm asymptomatic and we have shown that asymptomatic people can spread although less likely if you're vaccinated I think in close proximity indoor settings, masks are still the right thing to do from a medical standpoint. But again, if that forces us outside, if that forces us to do things like, I know you like to be outside from your recent trip to Colorado. So, um, I, I think those are those are things we can say with certainty that that masking is helpful. I think there are many other you know, you do need to take care of your mask, you need to wash your mask, you need to clean your exactly. mask, you need to make sure you're, you know, not wearing the same mask for extended periods of time, not washing, leaving it around. Um, but in general, I think a, a mask is still believed to be safer um, in those types of indoor settings. Um, when one, when you don't know who's vaccinated, who's not vaccinated, probably more so, but even now, in times where there might be high asymptomatic carriage rates, it's safer even in, you know, even in smaller groups, indoor settings, vaccinated people. Again, your family is a pod that's different, but people you don't know, and certainly people you don't know their vaccination status, I would certainly wear a mask.
1: That's great advice. And what I, what I really appreciate about that is, is that it's differentiated advice, right? So state of Wisconsin or the country, there are places where you can go where there are no cases at all. There are counties with not a single case. And in, in, in a case like that, like you said, once the school year starts and people stop migrating all over the place and we're in concentrated areas, you know, the spread will reduce, especially if there isn't anything. But obviously, be, if there are unique conditions where there are, you know, 35, 40 kids in a standard classroom and it's in a high area, we have to do what's best in, in, in the moment and then be able to pivot and move back and forth. I think where this gets so weird and political right now across the state and the country is that it's all or nothing kind of mindset. And I, I you just provided us a really good and there. So I, I appreciate that, Dave. One sure. other question here, um, uh, moving in and then we'll close out, is um, what have you seen as far as parent behavior and like mental health behavior of families and kids with the high levels of anxiety that are accompanied with you know the media's propaganda and different perspectives and social media. How, how have the hospitals dealt with that? Because I'm asking for our audience because we're dealing with that in schools where you have hypervigilance on both spectrums here, right? Like I want my kid in a bubble. You've better ensure this. I want him showered every hour to, you know, ah, we've evolved this long. They didn't have, you know, 400 years ago on the prairies, nobody put on a mask and my kids won't. And how have you dealt with that in your profession with supporting just that dichotomy and and the different mental health things that are occurring?
0: Yeah. And certainly we see, you know, there's, I would say there's two elements from the medical professional side. First is we are obviously seeing a dramatic increase in our patient volumes related to childhood mental health issues right so the strain of the pandemic on the individual children has been dramatic right and that's a combination of isolation and and all of the things that i'm sure many people have been reading about but you know in a in a system that isn't necessarily the most coordinated in you know around the country right we know that we do not have the most coordinated mental health system So frequently those patients, when, you know, you get particularly anxious or particularly depressed or particularly particularly stressed, we do see an increase of those patients into our healthcare system, right? So emergency department visits go up, inpatient hospitalizations for mental behavioral health issues go up. So that's one part of that. And again, going back to things that maybe we have learned as a system as a result of the pandemic, it's really that... Um, kids in particular, because of the work I do, that this pandemic has caused a mental and behavioral health stress crisis. And so we need to continue to develop systems to support that. Some of that nicely will hopefully be done remotely to tie into my previous answer. Um, And then we do see the gamut coming into our health system. We do see people who are incredibly stressed, incredibly worried. And, you know, we have patients who have had you know, coronavirus a couple of times, or they had it, then their other family member had it and they did well. And and they're much more in that, yep, yeah, I'm not even worried about it if we, you know, so-and-so had it and they did fine. So it's all just about kind of trying to maintain, you know, we're gonna pay attention to the science. That's what we say and that's what we do. And we give, we give patients information, you know? You, we can't control what you do once you leave our doors, but we can tell you what you need to do to take care of your child who may be otherwise healthy and might react this way. On the other hand, if your patient has a chronic illness, we are gonna try to make you feel 100% comfortable when you come into our emergency department that we're doing everything we can for you. And then just remind you of all the things that you can do to protect yourself, your family, your extended family unit, anybody you come in contact with. So those are all ways that kind of we've adapted our system and then our system is kind of being forced to adapt to the increase in mental behavioral health issues that are affecting children as a result of the pandemic.
1: Well, I think that's one of those pieces that um, doctors and nurses, healthcare providers, teachers, administrators, principals, and educators, it's where we have a really strong common bond is that parents come to us when they are at their most vulnerable, when they don't know what to do, when they're freaking out, um, and I, you've been there, I've been there. Um, and it's something I just really, really admire about your profession is that in those moments of great need, uh, one of your greatest gifts, Dave, is to just very succinctly and honestly say, this is the reality, this is what will happen, this is what won't happen, here's how we treat it, here's how we go. And that's, that's why I asked the mental health question because you can't, you can't go five minutes without hearing about what's going on and how, how the world's gonna end and yet they're coming in by you and, and having their confidence built in, and getting great care. So my yeah, last, one, well, sorry. Yeah, I was gonna
0: say, thank you. I, I wish every time in the emergency department, we were able to say, this is what you have, this is what's gonna happen sure. next. Just, as you know, our world is a little less certain than that sometimes, but we do our best to at least explain where our gaps are in the knowledge so that we can at least empower families to continue to, to take care of themselves while we sort things out.
1: Well, and you are also a teacher. And and one of the things that you and I I've, I've joked about was when my son Charlie had have a, uh, his appendix taken out and uh, I was at the Children's Hospital emergency room and your staff was fantastic. But I, I think the great piece for you is that you're a teaching hospital. And right now, right, it's the end of the, the your new the newbies are a month and a half in. Yes. And I think that's one of the most important things for us to reiterate, both to the educators and the medical profession is that our empathy in that moment is critical. And in a crisis like we've never seen before in our lives, uh, the mental care that, that you provide and that will reinforce, uh, that's, gonna, that's gonna get a lot of people a longer distance than, than if they had not met you or, or others. So my last question for you, and then we'll close out is, Dave, when's this gonna end? <laughs> uh like what has to happen <laughs> um
0: i have no idea when it's going to end ted i wish i really wish i could tell you and we, then, you, you,
1: all the doctors don't have like a little calendar pool up in the yeah. in the lounge the break room uh no five we, bucks we're, in we're, we're hoping to start a packer pool
0: next we <laughs> just did our we just did our olympic pool in our office that's how we stay engaged and keep our mind on other things Um, it, it's a, it's a great question. We wish you knew the answer to it's funny that you asked that, you know, within 24 hours of when the FDA approves its first booster dose now. So we now, you know, are recommending we, the FDA meaning recommending booster doses for, you know, organ transplant recipients and people who are high risk who didn't mount that immune response. So I don't think people will be surprised if, you know, the general population at some point, not needed yet, but the general population needs a booster dose of this same vaccine. So um, I, I don't know that at some point we're going to say COVID is done, right? I, maybe it will be, maybe it won't be. Um, I don't know if this is going to turn into something that's with us to a low level you know, forever, and we have to maintain some sort of immunity against it long-term. I'm trying not to think of this as an on-off switch, but maybe something that if we can get enough people vaccinated, we can just control it. And then we won't have to worry about outbreaks. We won't have to worry about spikes. If we get enough people vaccinated, hopefully the number of variants will decrease because you have to survive as a virus in order to to mutate and if we get enough people vaccinated the number of variants will go down and then we will have much better control over what's going on so I don't think of it as a start and end date so much as let's get it under control so we don't have to think about it as much anymore problem. Sorry, uh, if that wasn't optimistic enough, I apologize.
1: Yeah, no, you know what, it was because I, you know, I, I, you read all these things historically about, uh, you know, the uh, outbreak in 1917, and the Spanish flu and how that's actually through still with us, but, you know, we've just grown to have it be part of us. So the optimism is for my children and, you know, myself knowing that we'll just have to navigate it and I'll probably just go to Walgreens or my physician once a year when I would have normally gotten my flu shot and you know get those boosters and just be able to maintain more of a regular way of life here as we move forward. So that was very optimistic for me frankly. So
0: Yeah, and we'll see. This is I mean it feels like we've been living with this forever, but it's still relatively new. And we are still learning more every literally every day about this virus. We've learned a ton. We've learned a lot of ways we can protect ourselves and a lot of them are Tested, tried, and true, and we need to get more people to do them. But we are still going to learn a lot about this virus as, as time progresses.
1: Yeah. Well, Dr. David Brousseau, thank you for giving us some time here on the Smart Thinking Podcast. This was, as always, it was a great conversation. I think it was enlightening, and I think it will help out a lot of people as they're trying to navigate, you know, kind of their next steps and what to do. And then how we ended it here, which was important to me, was being able to put people in the right mind frame as to what's going to happen next. So thank you very much, Dave.
0: Yeah, it's a pleasure to talk to you as always, Ted. Thanks a lot.
1: So let's do some smart thinking. Based upon the conversation you just heard between myself and Dave, what actions do you need to take in order to feel better and safer as we move forward? List ways in which you can support the learning, both in the classroom and at home, for your students or your family. And last, what precautionary measures do you need to take in order to ensure your own health and the health of those that you serve and love? That's it. That's the Smart Thinking Podcast. Hey, as always, thank you for listening. Please share this episode. I think this was a great conversation that will help a lot of different people frame how to enter the fall and as the different things that continue to occur around us, just what we need to do and and how we need to act. And as always, thank you to the Well Pennies for their great music and for allowing me to continually use their catalog uh, to help us grow and learn and be entertained. And finally, what's your mindset? How are you going to maintain being a buffalo? How are you going to regularly remember that every moment of every day you're a leader and that everything that you do has consequences because you will be leading other people in other directions, that you have influence in your actions, your mindset, your manners, and most importantly, your mind frame. As we move forward through COVID, it's going to get sketchy again. It's going to get uncomfortable again. And there are going to be things that we can't control again. But we can control two things, our mindset and our happiness. We can be engaged. We can look for solutions. We can fix what's bothering us. And we can control what we can control. And for some of us, that might just be our classroom. For some of us, it might be a whole school. For some of us, it might be a whole system. And for others, it might just be my home. But whatever it is, you've got to charge into it. You've got to be Buffalo. You cannot shy away from whatever challenges we are facing in the future because we don't know if we're going to get all the way to the omega virus variant. And if we do... Well, so what? Because Omega, that's the end of the alphabet. All right, everybody, have a great day, be Buffalo, and charge up.
2: You imagine any way you can Anything that's better than Just hold my hand Won't you jump on in You beautiful thing It may be the only thing that ever redeems Go and do the rivers riding. Storyline Every molecule that fills your mind You can't leave it all behind Just take your time Won't you jump on in You beautiful thing It may be the only thing that ever remains Go and do the rivers right Thing. It may be the only thing that ever it Go and do, the rivers rise